eyes off of God, and I put them on my situation. I put them on the news. I, you know, could think about how horrible everything is. But if I always remember to come back to God's goodness, like, and that's where I put my focus, then all of these other things don't really matter as much. And so I just loved that we sang that this morning. So about a month ago, Pastor Tom asked Christina and I if we would share a little bit about our new logo and what it means to come to the table. And we were super excited about that because as a leadership team, we have spent like a lot of time discussing it amongst, um, amongst ourselves and how is the, the best way to get you guys as excited about that vision as we are. And so we're going to try to unpack that a little bit today. And if I had to sum up what the table meant to me, I could do it in two words, and that would be radical welcome. I've been reading the book Beautiful Resistance lately by John Tyson, and one of his chapters is all about radical welcome and extreme hospitality. And basically, this is what um, God wanted his people to always have. He spent a lot of time in the Old Testament um, explaining how to do this to the Jewish people, and hospitality was such a foundational part of their culture. Radical hospitality was such a uh, part of the early church. They had no political power. They were persecuted, and yet they turned the world completely upside down. And they were only able to do this because of the radical welcome that they created and, and the culture of hospitality um, that was just like a pillar of who they were. And so it's our desire to come back to that. Uh, but one of John Tyson's quotes from the book Beautiful Resistance is that Jesus was able to model what our culture is craving. Spaces of welcome where strangers, enemies, outsiders, and others can become our friends. Jesus created pockets of love in our culture of fear that formed a new kind of community in the world, something he called the church. It was to exist not as a haven from the world, but as hope for the world. And this idea of absolute hospitality and coming to the table, like that is still our call as the church. So what exactly is hospitality? Because I think oftentimes we think hospitality is just having somebody over to your house and eating a meal and then kind of sending them on their way. But that is like a small, small part of it. Um, John Tyson, I believe, also said this, but I read so many things, it's getting mixed together. But basically, that hospitality is an act of identity. It's not just an act of feeding somebody. It's about someone's identity. You take the stranger, and you bring them in, and you make them a friend. You're changing someone's identity from a stranger to a friend. And that is the heart behind hospitality. So we don't just want to share, like, these are what Christina and Casey think about the table or about hospitality. We wanted to dig into scripture and see, like, what is God's heart for the table? Um, what does he say in scripture? What can we see from his story from the beginning to the end 
of how he does this and how he implements this and the, and the instructions that he gives his people to do the same thing. So we started digging into it and we started studying it and I learned like the absolute coolest thing that I did not know and that was that when the temple fell and it was destroyed and the Jews had nowhere to worship, the place where they said that God's presence dwelt was completely destroyed. They had nowhere to come together and they had nowhere to offer their sacrifices they changed the way they did things. They had to. They didn't have a physical place anymore. And the family table became the altar. In every Jewish home, the family table was the altar. And the parents were the priests. And it was their job to pray the priestly prayers over their family and over anyone who came to their table. <clears throat> and it had such significance to them. Like the temple service in the temple, the purpose there and the purpose then at the family table was to help people have relationship with God and have relationship with each other. So the family table became the altar. That's where you build relationship with each other and you build relationship with God. And that still is such an integral part of that culture today. And I think we can learn so much from that. So we also dug into tons of scripture, and if we were going to talk about every place in the Bible where God talks about the table, or where God talks about hospitality, or he gives an instruction about it, we could literally sit here all day and share together, and you guys would like eventually get hungry and want to go eat at a table. So we picked just three like main stories, and I feel like they're all going to be super familiar to you guys. Um, so the first one that we're going to talk about is probably the most famous meal in the Bible, and if not in the Bible, for sure in the Old Testament, and that is Passover. But you guys are all, like, super smart, and I'm sure you've heard it before, and you're very familiar with it, so I'm not going to, like, read the whole thing for you, but I'm going to give you a Cliff Notes version of Passover. So the... Um, people of God have been slaves in Egypt for like a super long time. And finally, God raises up Moses and tells him, you have to go to Pharaoh and you have to tell him to let my people go. They've been in slavery long enough. So Moses goes and he does this. And of course, the Pharaoh tells him that like, that's insane. I'm not losing my slave labor because, you know, you think I should. Weird. So he doesn't listen and God has to send all these plagues. So we get to plague number 10, and it's the death of the firstborn. So, and other plagues have affected both God's people and the Egyptians. Some did, some didn't. But Passover didn't, because God sent them a message and gave them a specific instruction. He said, go kill a lamb and put its blood over your doorpost. And then the angel of death will pass over your house. So that's what they did. But it wasn't just about killing the lamb and putting the blood. Because then they went and they had a meal together in their homes. And they shared that lamb. And then when death came, they had reason to rejoice because their home was skipped. And we read it and we totally like see the, the power in the blood. And yes... Definitely, and it totally points to Jesus, but we kind of tend to skip over the meal part, and that is an integral part of this story. 
um, just, it's just awesome, like, how good God is, and he pays attention to every detail. And hospitality from that point on became the central part of the story of God's people. Like, we look at the, the law and we tend to, like, skip over so much of Leviticus because it doesn't mean anything to us. But when we try to read it as if we were, like, a Jewish person living in that time, it comes to life. Because to me and to Christina and to you, we don't really care if an animal is, like, split hoof or, you know, like, not split hoof. Like, what is that? I'm not going to physically go and, like, thrash my wheat so big deal if I like leave some corners. I'm just going to like hop over to Walmart and get a loaf of bread. But when we look at it through the right lens, like even those super mundane, like kind of boring, I don't get it parts start to have different meaning. And so I discovered this after seeing, you know, God bring his people out of Egypt and it, and it all connects because then we're coming and we're seeing Exodus 22, 21. If you want to flip there, I'm going to hit a little bit of the end of Exodus, and then some laws in Leviticus that are going to super show us God's heart for radical hospitality. So Exodus 22, 21. You must not oppress foreigners in any way. Remember your, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Then if we hop over to Leviticus, which obviously is everyone's favorite book, so you all know exactly where it is, and you like have markers stuck in it, and you're ready we're there right now. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in the land. Treat them like native-born Israelites and love them as you love yourself, remembering that you yourselves were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And then Leviticus 19, just going a little bit before that, We're going to look at verse 9 and 10. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. Do not pick up the wheat the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of the grapes from the vines and do not pick up grapes that fall on the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. God gave them laws like this, and there's, like, oodles more. Like I said, we don't have time to get into it. Like, this is just, like, the Cliff Notes version. But over and over and over, there are laws like this. And it's because God wants his people to do away with fear, do away with prejudice, treat others with hospitality and grace, because that's how God treated them, and that's how God treats each one of us. Understanding should always lead us to inclusion, and that is the heart of creating radical welcome everywhere that we go, and just having a culture of honor and hospitality dwell in us and flow out of us. Because understanding, coming to the table and meeting together, should always lead us to inclusion. So good. Uh, As I read through the story of Passover, one of the verses that very much stood out to me was verse 7. So we'll highlight that quickly here. Verse 7 in Exodus 12 
says, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. The reason this stood out so much to me, because in my mind, over the years of hearing the story about the Passover, I envisioned a bunch of Israelites running all over the place with giant buckets of blood, making sure that there was blood over every doorpost uh, of members in their community, because they wanted to ensure that the angel of death would, in fact, pass over. But when we look at the word of God, uh, he specifically says the, the animal that was killed in that household, we have to use that blood for that home. So God, he loves to partner with his people, and he called each family unit specifically. And I just love that we see God's intentionality in that verse because uh, he really reaches out to each of us, and he still does that today. He gave uh, specific directions through both Aaron and Moses so that every family would know, hey, I see you, I've chosen you, I love you, I've called you. God is just so awesome. We even see this all the way back in Genesis 2.15 where uh, the word says, the Lord placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Does God actually really need us for anything? He's so sovereign and so powerful and so amazing. But yet, even all the way back in the Garden of Eden, he's like, hey, I want you to tend this garden. I want you to look over this. I want to do that with you. God loves to partner with his people. And through having fellowship with us, he also directs us to have fellowship with one another. But honestly, how can we absolutely know that we're welcomed at God's table? How can you and I even have the desire spring up from within us to want to follow God's statutes or follow the commands that he's asked us? Where does that come from? I believe that it is imperative and vitally necessary to know who we are in Christ. It has to be done. That has to be a, a starting place for each of us. Ephesians 2.4 says this, God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us from the dead. Once we have experienced being raised from the dead, once we've experienced uh, being brought to life and seated in heavenly places with God, we want to see others set free. We have to see other people set free. There's just this hunger that grows within us and gets stronger and stronger and stronger as we press in. We have to see it. Isaiah 61 Verse 1 is a portion that I've been praying regular, regularly and consistently over our body and really over the entire church. Isaiah 61, 1 says this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted 
and to proclaim that captives will be released and that prisoners will be freed. My prayer is that God establishes this in each of our hearts so that we hunger and thirst to see the captive set free, so that we hunger and thirst to see uh, people that are brokenhearted be fully restored. That's what I'm praying for us. So next we are going to look at like the possibly the second most famous or the most famous if you like the New Testament better than the Old Testament. We're going to take a look at Luke 22, which brings us to the account of the Last Supper. So, of course, the Last Supper is Jesus' last meal with his disciples before he's crucified. And they're celebrating Passover. They're remembering what God brought his people out of. And this, Jesus brings his disciples together for this meal but he didn't just host the meal for his own benefit because he wanted everyone to know, like, he's a good host or something. He totally did this for the benefit of his disciples because he knew that he had very little time left with them to get them to understand the significance of the moment that they were about to enter into and into when he goes to be crucified. And it was the dinner table that he chose to do this at because the dinner table is a place of connection, brokenness, and blessing. And I loved Mark's ministry moments this morning to confess our sins to each other and how that can be hard. But it is only possible because of the table that we're at. We can only come together in this radical place of welcome and feel safe enough because we've created a culture for that to happen where we can be safe to connect to confess our sins one to another, where we even have that freedom to say, hey, Christina, you did this thing, and I'm not really sure that that lines up with God's heart. Like, the table gives us that kind of connection where we can say hard things and for them to be received, where we can confess our sins to each other, but we've put, we've made the space, we've made you know, like this place of radical welcome, this hospital, place of hospitality where we have the freedom to do that. And, and it's a culture that we're trying to create, and we, we want that to be what Restoration Church is. Like, we want to be so much what that is and have that pumping through our blood that our logo of the table, like, that's who we really are. We want to create that safe place. And so I totally love that Mark brought that out. And it just goes so well with what we're talking about today. N.T. Wright said that when Jesus himself wanted to explain to his disciples what his forthcoming death was all about, he didn't give them a theory. He didn't sit up there, you know, in the upper room at the meal and, like, preach a message to them. No, he served them a meal. For a moment, let's just consider the diversity that is sitting at this table. Like, they're not just like all best friends who were, you know, hanging out one day and then Jesus was like, hey, come on, let's start our own little band of awesome people. Totally not who is at this table. Like, they are like a ragtag bunch. They are like his motley crew. 
and they're from like as diverse of backgrounds as you get. So you you know you have some brothers, you have some fishermen, you have a doctor. But do you know that you have a zealot? Like a zealot is basically like a nationalist. Like they love their nation, their culture. They're like Jewish to the end, okay? They're excited about Jewishness. But then do you also know that you have a tax collector sitting at the table? A tax collector is like a national sellout. They are a traitor. They're working for the enemy. Okay, we have all of these people at the same table. Like your most left wing, your most right wing, they're at this table together. They've been hanging out with Jesus like for three years. And you want to know what? It doesn't matter. And I don't think that that was probably the focus of very many conversations. Like maybe there was some times at the beginning and Jesus was like, okay, we're not doing this. Like, I don't know, probably, maybe. But they stuck it out together for three years and they're at this last supper and nobody cared. Like nobody cared that there was a fisherman, a doctor, a zealot, and a trader. Like that wasn't even a factor. That's what the table does. We can come together, and it doesn't matter. And it shouldn't matter because it didn't matter to Jesus. He didn't tell anyone that they were right or wrong. It, it wasn't even a thing. And it shouldn't be a thing to us because we should be so, like, on fire and excited about bringing people to the kingdom. It doesn't matter where they came from. It doesn't matter if they're different, it doesn't matter if they think different, that's not what the table's about. That's not what creating radical welcome is about. That's not what hospitality is about. If I only ever invite Christina over because, like, we're besties and, like, we kind of think the same about a lot of things, like, it's fun, but we're missing what God wants. We're missing what his plan is. There's so much blessing in diversity. Oh, that's so good, guys. So good. Jesus created that place of radical welcome. You could even call it divine hospitality, embracing sinners and outcasts and drawing them into the friendship of God. Because that's what it's about. It's not about us. It's all about bringing people to know who God is. And Jesus' ministry... We don't just see him, like, using hospitality, like, sometimes as a strategy. Like, I read it, and I see, like, that is the strategy. Like, that is what he's doing. If we look at the rest of the book of Luke, guys, this is awesome. For the whole book of Luke, there's three things that are happening. Jesus is, one, on his way to a meal. Two, he's at a meal. Or three, he's on his way home from a meal. Like, that's it. That's what the book of Luke is. If we're just going to, like, wrap it up in a neat, tight little bow. Like, obviously, there's so much going on in there. But Jesus' hospitality was, like, scandalously unconditional. And we're going to see that when we look at all the people that he is eating with. So Luke 5, he's eating with sinners and tax collectors. More traitors, more shady, sketchy people. He's totally having a meal. Then in Luke 7, we see that he's in the home of Simon the Pharisee. And 
in this meal, you might remember, like, this sinful woman, like she's called a sinful woman, comes in, pours this expensive perfume on his feet, and anoints Jesus with her perfume and her tears. Luke 9, Jesus feeds 5,000. Luke 10, he shares a meal with Mary and Martha. Luke 11, he's at a meal with the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees. Luke 14, he's at a meal, and he's encouraging people to invite the poor into their house and feed them. We get to Luke uh, 19. He is having a meal at Zacchaeus' house, who he, like, invited his own self over, by the way. So sometimes you can totally be hospitable and create welcome at someone else's house. Then you don't have to clean up. I don't know. It's a thing. It's there. I see it. Luke 22, we're at the Last Supper, and then Luke 24, the resurrected Jesus is sharing a meal with two of his disciples on, um, that he met on the road to Emmaus. So, like, it's just everywhere. It's God's heart, and, and we want it to be our heart, too. It's just, uh, it amazes me what an incredible example that Jesus gave us of diversity even within his own inner circle. Let's take a look at Ephesians 4.15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Jesus Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. I believe that we learn to apply uh, this scripture at the table with one another because the table is a place of honor. The table is a place of truth and vulnerability, a place of realness. Holy Spirit must be on fire about James 5.16 because it is in my notes. And uh, if we understand how to confess our faults to one another, experience freedom in, in our own lives, I believe that freedom will just, it will just go from us. We read accounts in the Bible where at times there were disciples that were just walking and they walked in such a place of authority and freedom that people were healed by their shadow. People were healed by their handkerchief. How did these disciples become so free and carry so much authority? I believe by starting at the table learning to confess their faults to one another, learning to uh, just live so fully in the victory that Jesus gave them that it just poured out from them. The table is a place of healing and a place of freedom. That's what we find at the table uh, with our family, with our friends, a place of healing and a place of freedom. We're going to also take a look at the next verse, Ephesians 4.16. This is super awesome. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We see here in the word of God that it takes all parts. The only way that we at Restoration Church or as the whole church, uh, we have to 
have everybody. We have to have all parts. It's the only way that we can be healthy. It's the only way that we can continue to grow. And it's the only way that love can flow from us. We must have all parts. And honestly, when all parts are together, <laughs> when all people are together, there's diversity. Praise the Lord for diversity. We're so different. There's different views on current events. There's different views on parenting styles. We all come from different backgrounds and different financial positions. There is diversity. The list goes on and on and on and on. <laughs> but let's see what God tells us in Galatians 3, 27 through 29. Because this is what brings us all together. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. We are all one in Jesus Christ. We are a diverse bunch, <laughs> but we are all one in Christ Jesus. It, it's just, if this is the foundational, if we can just start at this foundational place, we are all one, that's freedom. That is freedom, that is power, that is authority. That's us going out into the world because we are one in Christ Jesus. The world is going to taste and see that God is good. It doesn't matter where we stand on this or that. We are all one in Christ Jesus and the communities that we live in will taste and will see that God is good. So amazing. At the table, we can speak life and we can honor one another. No matter what the situations or circumstances are, again, because we are all one in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God. He's just such a perfect plan that he has. That brings us to our third example at the table in scripture. We are going to take a look together at John 21. But before we can go to John 21, we have to recap quickly what happened before Jesus was crucified. Jesus, he told Peter, hey, Peter, this very night, even before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And we've heard the story. Peter not only disagreed, but he strongly declares, no way, Jesus. No, absolutely no way. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. But sure enough, just as Jesus said, Peter denied even knowing him three times, one of which was even to a small servant girl. And it all happened before the rooster crowed even twice. This is heavy. <laughs> but to be even better understand the true gravity of what happened here, 
we do have to take a look at the culture of that time. Because if you were to deny your rabbi or your teacher, you were completely cut off. There was no opportunity to rekindle the relationship. There was no uh, method or conversation that could be had so that restoration could occur in that relationship. It was cut off. You could never be under that teacher again. That teacher or rabbi could never be a rabbi again. There was simply no more relationship. And Jesus was Peter's teacher. Jesus was Peter's rabbi. And he just denied him not once, but three times. So from here, it seems like it's not looking good. Not looking good at all. But now let's go to John 21, because the story is not yet finished. And in John 21, uh, there is an account of a time where Peter and six of Jesus's other disciples, they're going fishing at the Sea of Galilee. And the text tells us after fishing all night, they did not catch one single fish. As a fisherwoman, that is terrible. That is terrible. That is disappointing. That is tiring. That is awful. I just like feel like we should just cry with Peter and his friends for a moment. It's awful all night. But even in our experience today in 2020 going fishing all night without a fish, it was even worse for these seven men because very likely the fish that were caught that night, they were to bring to the market in the morning so that they could provide for their families, so that they could earn money. It wasn't like, let's go on a fishing trip. That might be how their family ate for the next month. So at dawn, as the sun was beginning to rise, they hear a man from the shore, hey, did you guys catch any fish? <laughs> It's like a dagger. No, <laughs> of course we didn't. So after replying no, he told them to cast their net on the right side of the boat that they would in fact find fish there. They tried it. And all of a sudden, the, the net hauled so many fish in, an abundance of fish. They couldn't even haul the net in. It was bursting at the seams with fish. Unbelievable. John, who was on the, on the boat fishing, was like, oh my goodness, that's Jesus. On the shore, that's Jesus. That's our Lord. When Peter heard this, he jumped in the water right away and he swam to shore. As he arrived at shore, he saw Jesus there. And what was Jesus doing? Jesus was preparing them a meal. He had prepared some bread and some fish. And after breakfast, after they all shared in a meal, Peter and Jesus had a conversation that I really just believe that God takes the opportunity to reveal his heart. So we are going to read um, part of John 21. We're going to read verses 15 through 19. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. 
Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus responded, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said, this is to let him know. Uh, excuse me, that's what Jesus said. And this was to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then Jesus told him, follow me. Then Jesus told him, follow me. There, right there at the table, Jesus brought full, complete restoration, not only to their relationship, but also he fully restored his calling and his whole entire purpose in life. He spoke life into what was dead, and he encouraged Peter in that moment. He equipped Peter in that moment. The table is, in fact, a glorious place. That's possibly, like, my favorite story of the ones that we're talking about today. It's so good. And Christina, like, unpacked it beautifully. But Jesus loved and accepted people for who they really were. They could drop their mask and receive unconditional love. And that's what it means to create radical welcome. That's what it means to come to this table. That's like the heart behind hospitality, creating those spaces where a restoration like that can take place, where Peter can be reconciled to his rabbi. Like, it's, it's just awesome. It really is. So you might all be wondering, like, uh, duh, corona, like, we can't have people over. This doesn't apply to me right now. But it does. <laughs> totally does. And we can create this space anywhere. We can create radical welcome wherever we are. We need to be carriers of it and put it on display, whether we're in an Uber whether we're standing in line at the grocery store, like six feet away is like one cart, but you can totally still talk to the person at the next cart, like it's possible. Like you can create this kind of culture no matter where you go, at the park, outside, at the library. Like there's still places that you go and there's still people that you encounter, even though it looks different than it maybe did before and it looks different now than it's going to in the future. But that's okay because, like, God's word and God's plan has been the same from the beginning to the end, and so it doesn't change right now either. <clears throat> so what if we, the followers of Jesus, actually were the ones who acted like him and did what he did, and we reached out to people who were different from us? What if we got to know others and we let others really know us? It doesn't get rid of our differences, but it cancels out fear. And it helps us to overcome the division that's in our society 
and it allows us to show people who Jesus really is and to show people who otherwise maybe wouldn't encounter him. Like This isn't in my notes, but here I'm going there. Okay, so like sometimes we get so caught up in being right and proving our point that we don't care about being righteous. Like righteous living is totally part of this. Like putting aside our own like preferences and just like loving other people who don't think the same as us. And if we're constantly putting up barriers for people who think differently or look differently or go to a different church or believe in a different political party, like we can't cut those people out. We can't always be putting up barriers to make ourselves like unapproachable or not, you know, like that's not what Jesus did. He was about taking down barriers. And so the more we interact and the more we're with people who think differently than us, um, who are culturally different than us, like the more we embrace diversity, the more those walls come down. And that is so much the heart behind the table. And I just love it. Like, I married a Nigerian, for goodness sake. Like, I totally did not want things to be, like, easy breezy. <laughs> like, culture is amazing, and diversity is amazing, and we can embrace it. And encounter by encounter, as we encounter people who we might consider other, fear is deconstructed, and we find shared humanity. Like, that's how we find shared humanity, is embracing diversity. The, da- the table deconstructs fear and constructs shared humanity. Like, that's its purpose. So coming back to the book, Beautiful Resistance, John Tyson says that if every Christian family in the world simply offered good conversational hospitality around the dinner table once a week, we would literally eat our way into the kingdom of God. Like, and I agree with him. And, like, that's kind of easy. Like, I super like eating and talking. Like, we can do that. We totally can make that, like, a thing. Even in corona, because it happens in our families. Like, it starts with the people who live in your house with you. We get so caught up in the busyness of this world, we get so caught up in the distraction of um, media or our phone or social media. Like we always have a thing to entertain us or to look at us or we always have the next activity to go to. Um, We have to go to work and then we have to get groceries and then we have to do this and we have to do this. And we're busy and we don't make a space, and we don't create a culture for the table to be able to happen. We don't even do it that well in our own families. But if we did, that would be awesome. And I'm not even good at it because, like, 24-7, I take care of a disabled adult and four little kids all day, and then we get to supper, and I'm like, here's a Lunchable and a cartoon. I'm taking a nap. Like, we've all done those kind of things. Like, we all have felt that feeling. Like, some of us live in that season, and, like, some of us just have days like that. But nothing about kingdom culture is easy. It's 
always intentional. And I have the choice to like Lunchable and Bubble Guppies or a Lunchable at the table and asking my kids what their favorite part of the day was. Where did you see Jesus at today? Like, it's an intentional choice that we make. And if we start doing that really well in our own house, then when COVID is over and you can have your neighbor over, it's going to be a natural part of what your family does. Like, that conversation is just going to happen. You don't, it's not going to be awkward, and you're not going to have to try super hard because you used this season to prepare for the next season. Oh, man, that's good stuff. I should probably just stop because, like, God knew when to stop doing stuff, but I don't, so I'm just going to keep going. <laughs> I have, like, some more things highlighted here, so you must need to hear them. But one of the most important spiritual disciplines for us to recover this world is the table of fellowship. Like, we don't think of it as a spiritual discipline, but it is. And I'm convinced that our dinner tables have the potential to be the most missional places in our lives. And I would just love, love, love for you guys to, like, catch that vision. That's the vision of Restoration Church. That's the vision of coming to the table. And, like, that's, that's our hope. That's what we want you guys to get. So good. Living, living a life of radical welcome and hospitality. How do we do that? How do we create a space of welcome wherever we go? How can it be done? Well, thankfully, through the word of God, Jesus modeled this. Jesus brought the table with him wherever he went. And I believe he calls us to also be carriers of the table. Jesus and his disciples, through their years of ministry, they traveled miles and miles and miles to share the good news and to share about the kingdom. Well, we know that sometimes it was received really well, but often <laughs> it was not. But they just kept going. And uh, one story, they were going through Samaria. Jesus sat down to take a rest for a while, and his disciples went on to uh, go find food for them. There, while he was resting, uh, all of a sudden I'm just like, wow, this is, Casey just said this. While he was resting, while he was tired from this long journey, he had been walking and walking and teaching while he was resting because he might have been a little pooped out. There was a woman that came up to the well that was nearby. Boom, there was Jesus with his table. What happens next is, is so beautiful. Jesus asks her to get him a drink and she can't even believe that he is talking to her. Why? Because this woman, when she came to the well, she was broken. She was probably tired too. She had been living a life of sin. She came alone, which shows there's a strong chance that she might not have had community. She might have already been ostracized from her community based on the life that she lived. And not to mention, Jesus was a Jew. 
And simple fact, Jews did not associate with Samaritans. That No way. They just didn't do that in that culture. But Jesus, he was a barrier breaker. He broke down every wall. Nothing held him back. There at the well, this woman encountered somebody who valued her. She experienced love. She experienced truth. There at the well, she encountered life. Jesus talked about eternal life there. He encouraged her to worship in spirit and in truth. There, right there at the wall, Jesus brought the table. Uh, as we finish up here, we just got to read this because it's just it's life-changing. So here's this encounter. The disciples, they come back. They come back with food. The conversation winds down. And uh, let's just read right from the scripture. Uh, in John 4, verses uh, 31 through 37. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. The disciples probably looked around like, what? Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. But then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. Hallelujah. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and the other harvests, and it is true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will gather the harvest. The harvest is ripe. Here in 2020, Rona, no Rona, doesn't matter. The harvest is ripe. So where do we go from here? Let's be a people who are intentional. Intentional in every single moment. No longer just going through the motions. Let's be connected. Even in our own brokenness, may we set out to bless others. May we create this space of welcome wherever we are. And together, can we learn how to draw from the well that will cause us to never thirst again? Through this lifestyle of radical welcome and divine hospitality, may we turn our community upside down. As carriers of his presence, may our community taste and see that God is good. Why? Because God is good. And they have to taste it and see it. And once you get a taste and a vision of how God is good, it just begins to ooze out of you. Because he is so good. Casey and I are so humbled by the opportunity to share with you guys today our heart for the vision of Restoration Church. We're 
uh, excited for the conversations that are going to arise. We want to hear your vision of the table. We want to hear what God has established within your hearts as we come to the table together, drawing closer to the Father and closer to one another. Uh, we're just so grateful for the opportunity to share with you today. We want to we wanna bless you and pray for you as we get ready to close. So, Father God, we just love you. We love you so, so much, God. You are high and lifted up. You are exalted, the name above every name, God. We thank you for the work that you have done. We thank you how you've called us, how you've called us back into right relationship with you through the blood of Jesus Christ so that we can be carriers of your presence, God. We pray today that you would establish the truth of your word deep within our heart so that as we even leave today from church, from our home, God, that we would carry your presence, that our community would taste and see that you are good, God, through the love that we share, through the intentionality, God. Thank you for establishing generosity and hospitality in our hearts, God. I just pray for, for everybody who is listening right now, God, that the hunger for more of you would increase. God, that we would be so hungry for more of your, your presence, so hungry to see miracles and manifestations of your power, so hungry to see captives set free, so hungry to see bondages broken apart and chains falling off, God. Increase this hunger within us as we press into you, God. Reveal more of yourself to us and establish community within our hearts. God, I just pray supernatural unity all across Restoration Church, all across just the hearers of your word. God, would you establish unity within your church? God, thank you so much, Father. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, God. We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Wow, we just love you guys. Thank you for joining us today, and be blessed as you go.